Blog Talk Radio. Well, I was fascinated by the issue. I uh, was, uh, at first I was somewhat aghast and didn't really believe that uh, the way they had portrayed it to me that it actually had occurred. And then as we kind of dug into it and drilled down in it, um, the the very issue that Gwendolyn was just talking to you about um, actually occurred. And the transcript mysteriously has disappeared. 31 years is the first time I've ever encountered a federal court transcript disappearing. And it's not just, you know, randomly any transcript. It's the single biggest issue in this case. This case just has so many peculiar and unbelievable little twists and turns to it that you'd almost have to say there has to be some kind of outside influence or motivation for why these guys were prosecuted, why they got what I consider to be outrageous prison terms, um, and why, by all accounts, and I've got all the documentation, I've looked through it, by all accounts, the software program that they had developed was a, an enormously successful uh, tool for law enforcement. So it's almost like law enforcement cannibal, cannibalized their, themselves on this case, and you have to wonder, what was the motivation? Who was driving this? Well, look, the... I, in 20 minutes, I couldn't even scratch the surface of all the uh, problems that there are with this case. I will tell you that I think at least initially uh, that when you have a bench conference which implicates uh, the uh, somebody having to waive their right not to testify, get them to stand to testify, and they're on the horns of a dilemma between testifying or having their defense shut down, um, and that transcript disappears, that alone causes me great, great pause. And that's uh, the single reason that I decide to get involved. And until somebody says, wait a second here, if I'm going to incarcerate some young men who were not, you know, these are not crack dealers out on the corner. These are guys who were out there trying to develop a program to help law enforcement, and by all accounts, some world-renowned Experts said it was a very good program and a helpful program and something that just was not on the market. Um, and we're going to criminalize these guys and uh, criminalize their corporation and their their actions, and we're going to warehouse them for years and years and years in federal prisons. And we don't even have a transcript to back up what I consider to be a vital constitutional issue. That, that to me, smells. That uh, more than smells. It's putrid. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, and I'll tell you right now, if what you just heard sounds like, man, this is someone that's for the RP6. This is someone that is really behind fighting the injustice that happened, but make no mistake about it, it is an illusion. Tonight, we deal with the issue and the corruption of Mark Garagos, famed attorney out of Hollywood, Folks, hang on. The corruption of attorneys, prosecutors, and judges in America destroying the right for justice. Folks, hang on to your seats. AJC, AJC Radio kicks off right now. And there it is. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart. Dennis Merritt and William Williams and the entire AJC radio team 
And I'll tell you what, you're in for a humdinger tonight as we take the covering, if you will, of corruption off of attorneys in this country. Tonight, the spotlight, if you will, no pun intended, Mark Garagos. And I'll tell you what, if you're wondering who he is, a gentleman, and let me, I use that word loosely, that has done some things in the IRP6 case and really taken advantage of families and done absolutely nothing. Tonight we expose him, as well as the problem in our criminal justice system with attorneys, prosecutors, and judges. And one thing is certain, judges at one time were either a prosecuting attorney or a defense attorney. What does that mean? Attorneys is where the corruption begins. We're going to deal with that tonight. Lisa, the disclaimer for our listeners. None of us at AJC Radio are lawyers, and we do not provide legal advice. Although we go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a lawyer if you want legal advice. In this time of misinformation, government-controlled media, and government corruption, it's sometimes hard to get to the truth, but we must try. It's not our intention to libel or discriminate against anyone, and the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC Radio. We know that you have many choices in radio stations, and as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and spending time with us this evening. And thank you for that, Lisa. Well said. And uh, tonight, uh, again, we're going to be dealing with some touchy issues uh, regarding attorneys in this country, uh, namely Mark Garagos tonight. We're going to shine the light on that type of corruption. And you wonder, Cliff, uh, Lisa, Dennis, William, as we address the issue of corruption, uh, the RP6 case comes to mind without question. Because this was an act, and you're going to hear other uh, comments from Mr. Garagos addressing the injustice that happened to the IRP-6. Uh, we're going to deal with that tonight, as well as other, uh, again, corrupt judges, corrupt prosecutors that just simply continue to do what they're doing. And, uh, Dennis, when you hear that, I guess it puts you in a mindset to really get down and, and, and at least inform the American people just how bad it is out there. It does. Uh, we, we, we have to get it out there. When you have a lawyer uh, speaking so highly of the IRP-6 and then talking about how truly he felt they were railroaded and that you know they were truly on the other end of injustice, and now all of a sudden you know he, 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 he backpedals and uh, really takes advantage of a, a family at their, at their lowest point, you know, trying to take care of their, you know, get their husband. Uh, get their uh, brothers out of prison, and uh, you got a lawyer that's corrupt. And I tell you, it's all across the country. And until America says, hey, enough is enough, uh, we got to start holding these uh, lawyers, prosecutors, judges, hold them accountable. Make them pay for uh, putting a, a, a innocent man or woman in prison. And, Cliff, we know from the history of Mr. Garagos, Mark Garagos, attorney out of Hollywood, uh, California, Dealing with some issues, uh, taking over $100,000 in regards to service that he was supposed to do, and basically just went off with $100,000 of hard-working people's money. Yeah, I mean, you. the one thing that gets you is that, you know, at the end of the day, when you have a corrupt attorney, at the end of the day, they speak about, you know, they're out for justice, they see a wrongdoing. And, uh, you know, all these all these different accolades about why they took a case on the way that uh, Mark Garrigal did. But then it comes down to it. It's like, well, you were all about a dollar bill. 
and and you had no um, you know no remorse, no concern, uh, no anything about the families except that you know how much can you pay me? And like you said, at the end of the day, to walk away with over a hundred thousand dollars of having done absolutely nothing, and then you have the uh, you know you you open an uh, ethics claim. Uh, you go to the bar association, and uh, a lot of times, you know, you get the you you come to the understanding that you know you're you're basically in these people's backyard when you go to the bar against them, and they'll you know their worst case scenario they'll get a slap on the wrist and say, hey, you know, the next time you do something corrupt, don't get caught, and that's basically where it ends. And uh, it's a travesty, and uh, it it is really uh, you know mind boggling and very troubling that an attorney can do these things and get away with it. Uh, no, absolutely, and it, it creates really a serious problem uh, in our in our nation uh, that definitely has to be dealt with. William, when you hear about this, uh, we hear cases all the time. Whether you're a corrupt judge giving somebody less time than what you gave them, uh, letting a rapist do actually three months who assaulted a female student, three months. But an African-American can come into your courtroom with some weed or marijuana and you want to throw the book and give them 20 plus years. How is that even possible in this country right now? Well, I mean, you know, we really, this country needs to wake up and understand the racial, racial bias that's going on in, the, in the, uh, the judicial system. I'll be able to speak here in a second. In the judicial system and, you know, and understanding that these people, in the case like with Mark Garagos, just what Cliff has said. I mean, when you look at that, if, if, if he would have been not a lawyer, an African-American, and he's out here trying to sell services and gets $100,000 and doesn't do the service, he's going to do some time. And how, does it, how is it that this quote-unquote you know, Hollywood lawyer gets away with it, gets away with it, hard-earned people's money? You know, it's, it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. And, and so when you look at this, you look at this, this lawyer. And it's happening across the country. It's happening with judges and these these attorneys making these deals, uh, you know, in chambers over you know over lunch or at the golf course or whatever. That's changing and altering people's lives and and their families, ending them up in prison. And even when you listen to that intro, he sounded extremely convincing, extremely convincing. But I mean, all of a sudden, here you go. You know, he's not on your side. He's cashed your check. He's gone on, and he doesn't care. And that's, that's – it's a travesty. Yeah, and that's something that just is, is unacceptable and something that uh, definitely has to be looked at as we deal uh, with this issue. Uh, families, hardworking money, families coming together as we seek for justice. And there's a lot of families out there who are vulnerable. They are scared. They want their loved ones home. They, they, so a lawyer has a very unique position of authority – that can prey on the fears of its clients and their families. When you do that, you should be disbarred because that is the most vulnerable place for a family is that a loved one is taken to prison, in this case, wrongfully taken to prison. And we're going to get into that as we get into the show. Uh, so, folks, stand by. Feel free to dial into the show, 319-527-6216. That's 319-527-6216. And we're going to address these issues again uh, as we uh, get into the program, and not, again, not only Mark Garagos, he's the spotlight, if you as I said earlier, that we're going to deal with. Uh, but a lot of stories out there about corrupt attorneys, 
uh, asking uh, sexual favors from clients. Just, I mean, the ethical, the, the, it's just uncomprehendable. And these are people that will do anything, unfortunately, because they're desperate. And to prey upon that is the lowest of the lows that you can go uh, as an officer of the court and an attorney or whatever side that you're on here is just ridiculous. Um, current news going on right now. As you know, the confirmation hearings are going on in Washington for the Trump administration. Uh, Senator Jeff Sessions on Capitol Hill today uh, addressing a lot of issues. Uh, and they're, I tell you what, they're grilling him on the Hill. Uh, I, I, I expect him to be confirmed. Uh, just based upon the majority of the House and the Senate, uh, he probably will be uh, confirmed anyway. And again, uh, I watched a little bit of the hearing, so we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but a lot of questions and some news, breaking news actually hit the wire during the confirmation hearings in regards to Russia intelligence that had been brought to the United States, stating that they were they told intelligent officials here in the United States that there was actual compromising information that they had on President-elect Donald Trump, uh, somewhat of a threat, a special intelligence from the, I believe they call it the MI6 uh, intelligence, I believe, internationally, looked into some of these things as far as, you know, it's been conversation anyway, the hacking uh, emails, the, the, the influence that Russia attempted to have on this election. But what's critical here, they're saying now, that the campaign employees of the campaign may have been in discussion with Russia, may have been in talks with high officials in Russia during the campaign, type of plotting or working together. Again, they're trying to confirm everything. Uh, CNN reports that the sources are seem to be very reliable. Uh, Stand by America. We don't know what's coming from that. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it doesn't sound good, uh, Cliff, when you hear that. Uh, I'll tell you what, it brings you to a pause as America stands at a point of uh, 10 days from the transition of power ending. These are questions that are going to eventually have to be answered. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, uh, that type of information does not bode well, not only for President-elect Trump, but, uh, I mean, for America on a whole. And, and that's why... It is important that when it's seen that there may be some type of interference into an election, that it is dealt with up front, you know, that as soon as it is identified, that is dealt with. But we'll see what comes of it. I mean, uh, you know, for America's sake, let's hope there wasn't. But this is America. So there you have it. Dennis, your thoughts on that? It, it, to me, it's very serious and uh, uh, that we would allow another uh, state. Uh, another country uh, to get involved with our uh, political process and and then uh, defend it, you know, you know, however you want to look at it. Uh, I think both uh, Republicans and Democrats uh, should have been appalled. Uh, but when you got one specific group saying, "Hey, uh, there's nothing going on," but yet we have all this evidence to prove that there is, uh, we should have been angry as America uh, that anyone would even. Uh, try uh, to affect our, uh, our political process. Oh, absolutely. And uh, again, they're going to be addressing that as, you know, once this uh, inauguration happens on January 20th, uh, I'll tell you what, if, I, you know, you stand on pins and needles wondering what's, what's coming next. 
And uh, we're going to see what happens. But, uh, again, these are not things that are lightweight by any means when a foreign government celebrates at the Kremlin at the election of an American president. It is unprecedented. And I don't remember. I'm 47 years old, and uh, I don't remember a election where they had video footage of the Kremlin lifting glasses of champagne <laughs> in celebration for an wow. American president. So stand by, ladies and gentlemen, on that note, uh, we'll be visiting this discussion as we go forward uh, and also uh, get into this show. On the other side of the break, corrupt judges, corrupt lawyers, attorneys destroying America's criminal justice system, and we wonder why we have mass incarceration. We're going to deal with that on the other side of this break. This is AJC Radio. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams. We take off. On the other side of this break, we'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Let's just be honest. When we look across the street to the Supreme Court and we see equal justice under law, um, when you have drug laws so severely, disparately enforced against some groups, let's let's take African Americans, for example, there's no difference between black and white marijuana usage or marijuana sales, in fact. But Blacks are about 3.7 times more likely to be arrested for it. Um, African Americans are more likely to get uh, mandatory minimums, are more likely about 13 to get 13% longer sentences, and it's created these jagged disparities in incarceration. In my state, blacks are about 13, 14% of the population. They make up over 60% of the prison population. And remember. The overwhelming majority of people we arrest in America are nonviolent offenders. Now you've got this, this disparity in the arrest, but that creates disparities that painfully fall all along the system. When you get arrested uh, for possession with intent to sell, do it in inner city, now you're within a school zone. So now you have faced an even higher mandatory minimum. Now you're 19 years old with a felony conviction, possession, intent to sell in a school zone. Forget even all that. If you just have a felony conviction for possession, what do you face now? thousands of collateral consequences that will dog you for the rest of your life. You can't get a Pell Grant. You can't get business licenses. You can't get a job. You're hungry, can't get food stamps. Uh, You need a place to live, you can't even get public housing. And what that does is created within our country concentrated areas where you have massive levels of men being incarcerated. You create a caste system in which people feel like there's no way out. And we're not doing anything as a society like we no, we could do, because there's tons of pilot programs that show if you help people when they are coming back from a nonviolent offense, 
that their recidivism rates go dramatically down. If you don't help them, what happens is left with limited options. Many people make a decision to go back into that world of, of narcotics sales. Uh, uh, what's more dangerous to society? Someone smoking marijuana in the privacy of their own home or somebody going 30 miles over the speed limit, racing down a road in, in a community? What is more dangerous to society? But yet that teenager who makes a mistake for doing things the last three presidents admitted to doing, now they have a felony conviction because it's more likely they're going to get caught. And for the rest of their life, they're 29, 39, 49, 59, they're still paying for a mistake they made as a teenager. Now, that's not the kind of society uh, that I believe in, nor is it fiscally responsible. Nor, it's undermining their productivity, undermining their ability to take care of their family. This is so wrong that those conversations that I'm having with conservatives as well as uh, Democrats uh, are resonating. And so when you have people like Rand Paul standing up and talking about racial disparities in incarceration, this convergence and understanding uh, of fiscal conservatives, of Christian conservatives, of libertarians, shows me that this is a time of great hope for our country. And so I'm not going to question people's motives. This is one of those issues like the civil rights movement in the 1960s, which should pull all Americans together to say enough is enough. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to give a very special invitation to you tonight and every day thereafter. If you're struggling with addiction issues, the shortest treatment and recovery is the place to go. If you have any questions, dial 1-888-975-4105, or you can contact Stephanie King, the champion for those that fight this battle. Our number is 720-305. Two six two one. You can go to www.theshoresrecovery.com. There is a way out. There is an answer. Let's do it together today. And welcome back to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight's no exception, ladies and gentlemen. Feel free to dial in tonight, 319-527-6216, as we expose the corruption within our criminal justice system, and namely attorneys. We're going to start at least this segment off uh, with attorneys who say the right things, say what sounds appropriate, but inside... We find them to be unethical. Who are we talking about tonight, namely Mark Garagos out of the sunny state of California, uh, known for representing high-profile members of society, and he didn't take too kind, or treat too kind, rather, the families of the IRP6 who sacrificed with friends and family to to trust in his hands to do what he said he would do, Cliff, in regards to filing the motion bond pending appeal in the event, because we, again, these men, we contend and believe and know them to be innocent. Uh, he played a lot of games, and Cliff, you were actually privy to that 
information and the things that he did simply don't mesh up, if you will, or line up with what an attorney should do representing his or her client. Yes, I mean, you have – I think the the strangest thing, the most appalling thing, I guess, the way I would put it, is when you're trying to get in touch with your attorney. I mean, like you said, you have – these are men who are wrongfully inc- convicted, wrongfully incarcerated – and you're saying, okay, let's get a let's get bond pending appeal. And the most disgusting thing is trying to get him on the phone. Mark Garagos was almost impossible. There's one excuse after another. And when you say, okay, we have a conference call set up, and the response is, hey, this is a good football game I'm watching right now. Can we push this off 20 minutes? It's like, what are you talking about? We're talking about the men's lives who are locked up in your saying you're watching a good football game and you need to push the meeting out 20 minutes those are the type of things that are just uh you know appalling that make you feel like you know how can you be for your client when uh watching a football game is more important i'm tivo direct tv you know xfinity x1 something record it and go back and watch it later but you're talking about people's uh lives on the line their freedom and you're talking about a football game that uh, you know, when that happened, that that really struck me and, uh, you know, uh, kind of hit a nerve and made it twitch. And not only that, Cliff, uh, issues with Mr. Garagos evading being contacted. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, he's on the plane. No, you're not. You are not on a plane. We just saw you on national television and suddenly you're on a plane somewhere else. Well, no, you are not. Well, the issue is this. You took $100,000 to do a service, and you failed to do that. Uh, That may not seem like a lot of money to some people. When you're talking about the breadwinners being taken from these families, these are sacrifices of families and friends coming together in search for justice, William. And when you do that, well, you know what? We could reach you when you were trying to negotiate to get a check. Oh, hello, Mr. Garagos here, yes. What can we do? We're going to hear some of that conversation. That's prior to you get when you, if you're working on getting that check, oh, you're reachable. Oh, we can find you. No problem. You take the check and you disappear. What do you say to these families? And, and Cliff will go further into how he even treated the IRP6 after, we're going to go there later, but after he received his money and took advantage of these families, which I believe he fraudulently took, and come, comes up with an excuse to say, oh, that's just if you needed us. That's a, that's a retainer of we're on call. $100,000? Are you kidding me? That's unacceptable. Cannot be tolerated. And Mr. Garagos, you should be ashamed of yourself for, for doing this to families. Do you understand what, what did you, you took an oath, I thought, to uphold the Constitution of the United States as an attorney? And to seek justice. You didn't seek justice and you sought you sought to inflate your bank account. That's right. That's unacceptable. And right now we're gonna play another clip from Mr. Garagos, who I guess he lives in the right state for acting because he sure was putting it on. But I believe he believed the report that the IRP six was innocent. You cannot question that. But greed somewhere got here. Well, we'll just get the money. This will be a means to an end. Don't worry about it. Nobody knows the difference because I'm what? Mark Garagos. Let's hear another comment he had to say about the RP6.
This case just has so many peculiar and unbelievable little twists and turns to it that you'd almost have to say there has to be some kind of outside influence or motivation for why these guys were prosecuted, why they got what I consider to be outrageous prison terms, um, and why, by all accounts, and I've got all the documentation, I've looked through it, by all accounts, the software program that they had developed was a an enormously uh, successful or could be an enormously successful uh, tool for law enforcement. So it's almost like law enforcement cannibal, cannibalized their, themselves on this case. And you have to wonder, what was the motivation? Who was driving this? There you have it, Mark Garagos. Uh, Dennis making a compelling argument to state that there must be outside influence that's pushing this case, which should have never made it into a courtroom. What is that outside influence? And Cliff, we've learned a little bit along the way. There's a lot of people that had something to gain to discredit the RP6 and the development of that software. Tell the folks a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, you had several competitors that, um, you know, didn't want IRP solutions to succeed, several competitors that didn't want to see IRP solutions uh, on the federal stage as far as offering with any offering. I mean, you're talking about a small business, about 18, um, you know, people working that developed the software that got more attention than anybody else in the nation. And, and I don't say that just as my opinion, uh, when the... Um, you know, the, the entire project that the Silk software was set up for, uh, when when the prosecutor and when the FBI began to blackball IRP solutions and told Department of Homeland Security that they can't talk to them uh, as far as doing business, then suddenly the entire project that was laid out for the, you know, the case management software, that project left from, uh, from Homeland Security. And so... Not only do you have uh, the injustice done to the men that you know created the software, but you also have a disjustice done to the people of America. That here's software that was set up to right. help protect the homeland, and now it you know it's uh, sitting on a shelf, and the men who created it are, are sitting in prison for no no good law enforcement reason. Like Eric Holder said, this is this is insanity, but it all stems from uh, you know. Crooked, corrupt prosecutors, attorneys, and judges that set the stage to ensure that they get a conviction. I mean, it, it is it is totally insane if that is what we call American justice. Is that if you get indicted, you are at ninety eight percent sure going to going to federal prison. It's totally insane. No, it definitely has a, a, a wrinkle to it, William. As you look at that. And again, this tells you one thing is certain. Mr. Garrigo said in 31 years, he has not seen a case like this. In 31 years of being an attorney, he said it has so many twists, which is what we've been saying over and over again. And for a system to be so corrupt, to turn a man's view completely the opposite direction, and to mistreat and to unethically treat the families and the men who are your clients 
with disrespect, Cliff, that was an issue at the, at the, I believe a phone call was made to the defendants there, the RP6 guys, and Mr. Garagos treated them as an enemy of his. And, and tell the folks a little bit about that. Right. I mean, he had a, you know, he's supposed to have the attorney call, talk to their client. Uh, you know, he, you, you kind of gave him a, well, no, I don't, I don't give him a pass for not showing up and going talking to him in person for a hundred K you can jump on the plane. Uh, but you know, he got on a telephone call with them as they were telling him what they wanted him to do as far as doing the, uh, you know, bond pending appeal. And, and he begins to get, uh, irate and out of control and, you know, just just really disrespecting them as as clients, as just human beings. And you look at it, you say, okay, you're the one getting paid. This is your client. Why are you becoming irate? Why are you getting out of control? And again, you know, it just boils down to, well, he was out for the money. He was out to get paid. It's like, well, I don't want to do that type of work. Why don't I just Why don't I just do something over here on the side and you know get up and uh, you know talk a little bit of crap that he you know he does so well in in front of a judge or whatever instead of doing the work that he was paid for. But to to insult and uh, disrespect your client that is not something that any attorney should do. But again, when you're just out for the money, you're like, well, hey, I'm just looking to do as little work as I can, and that's where uh, Mark Garagos was coming from. No, absolutely, and these are things that. You know, if you see the guy, he's a, he's on network uh, television in his suit. He's talking about the law. He's considered to be an expert, but he has a, it's a, it's a, it's all a perpetration, if you will. He's a perpetrator of justice. That's that. There's no they don't mix the words That's with right. it. That's right. You are a fraud to the justice system because a true attorney who represents his client does not rob them and steal. $100,000 and don't do your job. If you hire a contractor to come to your house and do add a room or whatever onto your house and you pay him whatever amount of money you want to pay him, if he doesn't pay, if you don't pay him, and I mean, if he doesn't complete the job you paid him for, he's liable. How does that not apply to attorneys? In this case, Mr. Garagos, who talked one thing and did another. That has to be exposed. Dennis, your thoughts? Again, like I said, it, it's, it's just, to me, something has to be done where I don't care, you're a lawyer, prosecutor, I don't care what your job is. If you're in the legal system, you have to be held accountable. If you are supposed to provide a service and you fail to provide that service, there should be some type of, Something. you know, you should be held liable. There, and, and without that, you're going to continue to have lawyers, prosecutors feel that they're above the law. I can do anything I want because in the end, what you're going to do? That's Nothing. it. And, and this is why I believe, Lisa, the criminal justice system, people do not trust our system of justice. They don't trust us anymore. And right, and they have a good reason for not trusting it anymore. And I was listening to Dennis. I was thinking the exact same thing. These people are not held accountable. You have these attorneys. You have these judges that feel like they're above the law. They do what they want to do. If they're never held accountable, they're never going to stop doing it. If you have a child who gets out of line and does something wrong, and you never correct that child and prove to them that there are consequences to their actions, if you do something wrong, there's a penalty for that. 
if there, no one's ever shown that, then no one's ever going to stop doing what they want to do because I can do whatever I want. No one says anything to me. I get away with everything I try to do. Why, why would they stop? No, absolutely right. And let me, let me make it very clear. The RP6 men are not some made-up fictional characters coming out of a Hollywood movie. These are real men that have families, that have a church, a community, people that care, that, that love these men, who they love. They have started a life. You have stripped them as a result of misconduct. Just well, do your job. Go ahead, William. Well, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm listening, and I think the thing that really stands out to me the most, you heard the clips, you heard what he was saying. Now, he's saying what we've all said, and we've already said that. He is, he is in total agreement with this, and yet he takes the money and does nothing. And I'm looking at that. I'm like, okay, you understand the misconduct that was done in this case, and that you're going to – Reap from it even more. You're going to ask the families of these men that are sitting behind bars, wrongfully convicted. And he pointed out, he said, I wonder what power it was. What was the motivation behind this? Well, okay, you, you lay all this out in this clip, and, and you're speaking, addressing the corruption. And yet you, you basically do the exact same thing, knowing the truth, seeing Seeing the corruption in front of you, and you see an opportunity to take $100,000 from these people that are weeping for their loved ones. These are men that have sat there. These are the breadwinners of their families. Their families are now in struggle because their their fathers, husbands are, are you know, in prison. So now they're sitting here trying to, trying to readjust it and, and, and to change their quality of life because now their loved ones, you know, are gone. And now you ask them for a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, knowing the wrong that's in front of you. You're seeing it. You acknowledge the fact that they're missing transcripts, and you're saying, "Okay, you know what? I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to take, and I don't care what happens." I mean, that's the dirtiest thing. I, I, I just, I, I mean, I'm listening to that, but that has got to be the dirtiest thing I have ever heard of. No, without question. And the families, and I was, I was representing the IRP6. Let me give you their names. Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker, all with families, all seeking the entrepreneur spirit of America. And when the criminal justice system and the attorneys who are set there to ensure justice disappear, what are families left with? What are, we, what are families supposed to do? Where are they supposed to go? That is the question. We're coming back on the other side of this break. An interview Mr. Garagos did with Mr. Leon. You're going to hear the entirety of that 10-minute interview. The story and the plot thickens as we continue on AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experience some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and 
get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. Over a million people sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of AJC Radio and a campaign that we have started that is underway entitled Spotlight on Capitol Hill. This program is new to AJC Radio, but it is an exciting time when we take a few moments every Thursday evening to highlight members of Congress, their initiatives that are not only important to them, their constituents, and the nation as a whole. We invite you every Thursday to tune in to AJC Radio to hear your congressman or your senator and their initiatives that are here to shape a nation and to bring about change. We invite you cordially, and as we fight for justice, as we seek justice daily, we'll come together as not only the American people. Join us every Thursday for Spotlight on Capitol Hill. God bless you, and as always, God bless America.
And welcome back in to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the, the world and around the globe, if you will. Tonight, no exception, folks, as we deal with a very serious matter of corruption within the criminal justice system. It's not new news, but we deal with one prominent attorney, Mr. Mark Garagos, uh, touching on him on this first hour segment of the show addressing the issues of corruption within the criminal justice system. I'm Lamar Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and William Williams. And uh, I'll tell you what, folks, uh, it's getting heated in AJC Radio Studio as we begin to try to unravel uh, the web, if you will, of corruption and the actions by an actual attorney who says one thing and took an oath to uphold the Constitution and to zealously defend his client. That has not been the case with Mr. Garagos uh, in this case with the IRP-6, which every show is dedicated to those six men. And they are, again, Dave Zappolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker as we seek for justice for the wrong that has been done to these men as they now have been in prison for over four years wrongfully convicted. And... Uh, we intend not to let up on the gas to seek justice. And uh, Dennis, as we were talking here, a uh, lot of things here that I guess people should be troubled with. If Mark Garagos, as a prominent attorney in this country, has the clients that he has, does the work that he does, what happens to the other attorney that may not have the prestige of the office uh, of an attorney as a Mark Garagos? What may motivate him or her? To not seek justice A bribe Some form of payment Of money to not do their job And that is something that is happening In this country Attorneys are bribed all the time Prosecutors are bribed all the time Judges are bribed All the time How can we possibly Call this a system of justice Dennis oh, your thoughts on that We can't This justice system is truly broken I mean, it's, it, it needs to be revamped. I mean, I'm talking the whole process needs to be relooked uh, because there's just too many influences that influence decisions that prosecutors and, and uh, lawyers make these days. I mean, a lot of this, uh, sorry to say, is money, uh, racial. Uh, I mean, you got all these things that should not have anything to do with whether someone uh, is, is convicted for crime. It should be based on the evidence. But these days, uh, we're bringing in evidence that was never there. I mean, there's a lot of uh, stuff that's going on right now that's, 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 that has to be changed. And one of the things that this show is doing right now is, called, it is exposing. Uh, we have to let the American people know that we have lawyers out there that are truly about the dollar, not about whether or not, uh, you, you know, you receive the justice uh, that you're, you're seeking but about how much you can pay them. And then if you can't pay them, then, of course, you're not going to get the same. Uh, you, you know, they're, gonna fight, they're not going to fight for you the same way. So I think what AJC Radio is doing, uh, we, again, the American people has to come to a place where we say enough is enough. You get enough people talking against these corrupt lawyers and prosecutors and judges. Believe me, the penalties start getting put in place where we start taking money or putting them in prison that's how you fix the system but until you do that until you got these these individuals that say 
hey, I can do anything I want. You're going to continue to have uh, situations in which uh, we're dealing with today. RP6 family members being ripped off by a lawyer who's all about the dollar. And I think one point to point out is that uh, we talk about this at times, that the number of plea deals in our criminal justice system is a result of corrupt attorneys. Exactly. Uh, Not only does the defense attorney lean in to try to pressure you, man, take the plea. It's less work for them. They still get a check. Exactly. And plea deals are destroying, Cliff, our criminal justice system. I was told this during my wrongful conviction, in which I did seven years in the state of Colorado for a crime I never committed. I was told this, that if every inmate in county jail woke up the same day and said, we're not taking a plea, we're going to trial. A gentleman told me in the criminal justice arena, if you will, that it would bankrupt the city, the state. It would bankrupt the state where they would have to let these men go, drop charges, do whatever, because they don't have the means to even try the cases. And Cliff, we had talked about a a statistic in regards to the number of cases federally that are settled with plea deals. And that's a high number. Do you remember that number? Yeah, I know it's uh, high up above, you know, 97 percentile. And when you look at that, I mean, I I said it before and, uh, you know, it may sound a little comical, but it's the truth. The only thing that has that type of success rate, a 98 percent success rate is the rising of the sun because you have an eclipse every once in a while. No, no system is that efficient. If it was everything on the planet, every system would be run like that system is run. That that cannot be a viable or reasonable system. It has to be some corruption because nothing is 97, 98 percent. Wow. There, there is no – do you know – if you say, hey, we have a success rate, we're doing it the right way, and it's successful 98 percent of the time, everybody you, – you bottle that up, oh, everybody's a trillionaire that, that deals with that system. The American justice system is not 98 percent efficient. So the plea deals, the amount of people who are going in, the prosecutors who are threatening them saying, hey, you're going to uh, end up spending 30 years in prison if you don't take this 20-year deal. It is a farce. And like you said, Lamont, I mean, it would it would bring the system to its knees if everybody would say, I'm not going to plead. But you're going to prove that I'm guilty. But what it would do is it would, it would to some extent, fix the system because yeah. then you say, okay, we can't try all these cases in court. So we're going to have to say, look, the charges that you brought against them, take all the frivolous charges off. All the, okay, well, you you stole a pack of donuts because you were hungry. Take off the conspiracy. Take off the armed whatever because you had a pack of donuts and a, and a beanie in your hand. That is not armed Absolutely. robbery. So they would have to take the system. They would have to adjust it and bring some type of justice. And that is what no doubt needs to happen. No, without question. And I'll tell you what. Do the math on mass incarceration with that percentage of plea deals. The problem of mass incarceration, one of them, the largest, plea deals. Because they're pleading to some type of jail time because they have been threatened, if you don't take 10, we'll give you 40. That's unacceptable. And you're wondering why the problem is what it is. Ladies and gentlemen of America, wake up. We have a messed up system. We do not have the best system in the world when it comes to to the justice system. 
No, you're right. You're right. I mean, but I think I think what what we're hitting on is the fact. I mean, if you're indicted, you're guilty. Period. Per, period. You're you're going to they're going to stick you with something. You have if if you can't afford a lawyer, okay. So you got a public defender. He's they're not on your side. They're trying to get you to plead. In the case of IRP six, you go get somebody like Mark Garagos who gives you this rah rah speech, takes your money and goes ghost. I mean, and then you got. You, then you got the prosecutor on the other side that's trying to give you even more. So if you're indicted, you're they're looking to send you to prison. Period. And oh. that tells you that tells you the system is absolutely broken. It is is leaning, you know, against you. And you sit there and you look at Lady Justice and you see her blindfolded. No, not our justice system. She's there with her eyes wide open and her hand out, saying, "Who can put the most in it?" will get me to lean their way. I'll put you this way. Lady Justice has not only taken the blindfold off, she has binoculars. That's a problem in the justice system. <laughs> binoculars? Shouldn't have that. Lady Justice is supposed to be blind. Right now, we're going to hear a clip about the, ri- the racial disparities within our system that are contributed by plea deals. And guess what? Who's pleading the most out of every group of people in America. Who pleads the most? African Americans? Latinos? Or Caucasians? African Americans. Right. We got a problem. Let's hear the clip. Well, this year alone, in a surprising bipartisan effort to reform the criminal justice system, the House Judiciary Committee introduced five bills addressing this issue, but noticeably absent was language governing plea bargaining. According to the U.S. Sentencing Commission, over 90% of convictions in the federal system come from guilty pleas. For state systems, it's around 95%. Could plea bargaining contribute to this? After all, in 1970, the Supreme Court established the constitutionality of plea bargaining, but warned that it would have serious doubts if the encouragement of guilty pleas by offers of leniency substantially increased the likelihood that defendants advised by a competent counsel would falsely condemn themselves. Here to take a look at this issue is Nazgul Gonsnoosh, research analyst for the Sentencing Project. Thank you very much for joining me today. Great to be here. What is attributed to the huge numbers of plea bargaining deals and their growth over the years. Part of it is just a really large number of people that are entering the system. So just in order for it to function efficiently, there can't be a very high rate of trials. And because of the introduction of mandatory minimum sentences, prosecutors can threaten really long sentences if people go to trial. And so in order to avoid those outcomes, people are more often uh, willing to take plea bargain deals which still impose harsh sentences on them, but not as bad as if they had gone to trial and lost. What's interesting here is also to look at prison statistics if you're looking at a minority male and what he might face um, when, when sentenced by a jury. It can be terrifying, and then he may sort of, as, as the quote said, condemn himself for fear that he'll be hung out to dry, mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe a white female for the same crime. Does, do you think that has prevalence here also? This, has, this is definitely relevant here. And what's troubling is that when we have such a large proportion of cases settled through plea bargains, we have much less transparency than if the cases had gone to trial. 
Uh, so it creates a black, black box where prosecutors have a lot of power and there's not as much uh, ability for people examining the criminal justice system to figure out what's going on and whether there are just outcomes and to keep track of, of everything going on. Now, what are the most prevalent outcomes if the typical person, you know, arranges a plea deal? So what often happens is that people are in jail, detained before the outcome of their case, and so they don't really have a lot of patience to wait for a trial, and so they take a plea offer, uh, which exposes them to a pretty long sentence. As a consequence of this, people who are innocent are less likely to fight for themselves because of the situation that they're in, waiting in jail, because of the risk of the trial penalty. Um, as a consequence of this, we have continued racial disparities in the criminal justice system and uh, less of an ability to monitor what's going on in the work of prosecutors to be able to control for that. And we also have very long sentences that prosecutors are fighting for and trying to maintain mandatory sentences because they know they can use them as a threat to, to, um, to determine and to create these long sentences and plea outcomes. Well, there you have it. Wow is the only response. William, I saw you uh, doing that clip. Threats of intimidation to get people to take a plea with threats of more time when if they, get, if they go to trial and be found not guilty, simply walk. The statement, the phrase they use in the penitentiary when they're facing a case, or not the penitentiary, county jail, is that we're going to the box. Take it to the box. Because if you're not guilty, why would you possibly plead to something you did not do? And because they prey on the ignorance and the lack of knowledge by inmates, and they scare them, as she said, we did a show on the fear factor. Intimidation and fear to say, if you, if you don't take this plea, you're facing almost double the time. How is that legal in this country? And a prosecuting attorney are behind it. Your thoughts, Dennis? Because you're guilty until proven innocent. That's, that's the fact. That is how they're able to do. That's, that's how I can throw a plea at you. Because you're guilty. Even though you know you're not guilty, you're guilty. So you better take this plea. Because if you don't, then... We're going to give you this time or this amount of time or whatever. You know, the law says you're innocent until proven guilty. No, we said before, Dennis, that but bus left the that's station. Not, that's uh, I don't know how long ago that bus been left the station. You're innocent. If I'm, this is what we continue to struggle with. If I'm innocent until proven guilty, I should not be in county jail. Exactly. I should simply be served a citation. Someone has made a accusation. Why am I locked up in jail? Why am I dragged in chains in a courtroom during the trial process or the pre-trial process? Why am I chained up? Why am I handcuffed if the presumption of innocence is with me? You understand? You see how backwards uh, that is? Absolutely. absolutely. I agree. That's completely it backwards. You've already painted the picture. What, that am I, what am I bonding out of jail for if I'm innocent until proven? What am I even doing in jail? That's how twisted our system is and we just sit back as citizens well we have the best system in the world no we don't think about the statement that has been made 
you are innocent. An innocent man doesn't go to county jail. An innocent man is not handcuffed. An innocent man doesn't have that on his record when he tries to go get a job because he's been arrested. It shouldn't even be there. You know why? Unless it's proven in a court of law. And then, even then, how many people went to court to trial and was found guilty? Was never guilty. Never guilty. How many people walked out of prison and said, oh, we found out you weren't guilty, but you were convicted. So how do you take trust in a system that convicts the innocent? The IRP6 are the innocent. That's right. Do you understand that? I was innocent and did seven years in the state penitentiary. Seven years. And completely exonerated, and not one charge that sent me there stuck. Not one. And you want to talk about a justice system? Why six men who simply did their job, did their job, went to ground zero, saw devastation, and said, not on my watch. And you thank them and put them in a cell? Judge Arguello sits on the bench and blatantly violates the law. That's right. Compels them to testify. You will testify or we will close your case against the law. And we wonder why people are delusioned with the system that is supposed There is no system. And justice definitely doesn't belong there. Ladies and gentlemen, feel free to dial in 319-527-6216. 319-527-6216. This is unbelievable. Mark Garagos knew these men to be innocent. John Walsh, is that his name, Cliff? Knew these men to be innocent. Matthew Kirsch knew these men to be innocent. Dean Aguayo knew these men to be innocent. You wonder what's wrong with our system? You locked them up anyway, and you didn't think twice about it. Let's hear what else Mark Garagos had to say. Is this a matter of the big fish, the big software development companies trying to eat a small company? Sure looks that way to me. I mean, I always look for what the motivation is behind this because, you know, there are countless cases and countless courts and a lot of times it's just kind of uh, processing or making the sausage, so to speak, out of the defendants that run through there. This case just has so many peculiar and unbelievable little twists and turns to it that you'd almost have to say there has to be some kind of outside influence or motivation for why these guys were prosecuted, why they got what I consider to be outrageous prison terms, um, and why. By all accounts, and I've got all the documentation, I've looked through it, by all accounts, the software program that they had developed was a an enormously uh, successful or could be an enormously successful uh, tool for law enforcement. So it's almost like law enforcement cannibal, cannibalized their, themselves on this case. And you have to wonder, what was the motivation? Who was driving this? Again, Mark Garagos talking about the motivation. You would think he was on the right side. 
that's what you would think, Cliff. And that, I mean, when you when you listen to that, and you listen to the uh, the conviction in his voice that he knew something was wrong with this case. He saw from every angle, like you said. I mean, in thirty years practicing law and never have seen anything like this. Understanding that a judge that uh, you know forces defendants to testify and then that portion of the transcript disappears you know that he saw the truth in what happened in this case that he saw the corruption he saw the wrongdoing he saw the uh you know the misconduct by the prosecutor and the judge and still that is what's what gets you because it's like okay well you still went on the other side to say okay instead of becoming part of the solution I'm going to go to where the problem is, and I'm going to do the same thing that they do. It's like, where is your conscience? Where is the fact that, you know, I'm going for justice as a defense attorney? Where is the, where is your, um, just where's your moral ground that says, I'm going to go for what's right? And and it's not like anybody asks you to do it for free. I mean, if, if doing well is right, uh, for free. I mean, you, you still should do it. It's the right thing to do. But you got $100,000 and still did nothing. Still did nothing. Still stepped onto the side of corruption. Joined in with the prosecutor. Joined in with the judge. Uh, and then totally disrespected the defendants. Like, well, you know, uh, I want to basically be paid for free. I don't want to fight your battle. I want to be paid for free. I'll say a few good things, but at the end of the day, it's all about the dollar bill to me. That's uncomprehendable. I'll tell you what. This is a high-profile attorney. What do you say to the family? Most people go to law school to do something, I would think, to not be the status quo of our judicial system. And you have some good attorneys out there. You have good public defenders out there. I had two great ones that believed in justice. Mark Garagos is a fraud. That's true. He's a fraud. You say you're about justice, you took an oath. Does it not matter anymore? And as long as, Cliff, we have immunity things in place, where no one, and Dennis made the good point earlier, if I'm accountable, and you say we all live by the same, I get so tired of hearing this. We are a nation of laws, and no one is above the law. That's a lie. Plenty of people are above the law. They just need to know, it's who you know, how much money do you have. This is sick. And we have to address the issues that need to be dealt with. This is uncomprehendable. The IRP6 and their families did nothing to deserve to be treated the way they have been. Put yourself in the shoes of the IRP6 that are told that Mark Garagos has joined the case. As they sit behind the wall seeking justice, and they're saying, Mark Garagos, he is championing for us. And you rip the hearts out of these men. How cruel could, could a person be? 
that took an oath to uphold the law. And you scream at these men and you tell them, you're going to serve every bit of your time. This is my attorney? This is my attorney who is supposed to be zealously defending me. Sick. What else do you say to that, Williams? Well, I mean, you know, the thing that really bothers me is he didn't need the money. This is a rich man. He's a high-profile lawyer. He lives in Hollywood. He has made millions of dollars off of cases. They're nowhere. I mean, they're important to their families or whatever, but, you know, it was not like the IRP-6 case. And you come in, you bring name recognition. You bring a level of power and influence. You bring 30 years of being a lawyer, championing someone else's cause, being their mouthpiece. So it's not like he needed that $100,000. And you sit there, and he sits there, and he gives the speech that says, I believe in you. I believe that the motivation is wrong. There is darker elements behind it. I believe these men are wrongfully convicted. I believe that the transcripts there that you said were missing are truly missing. I've been scouring the case. All these things that you're saying, but he didn't need the money. And I think that's the thing that really just really bothers me so much. Why did you do this to these people? Why did you just decide to victimize those that looked to you, sought your advice, got on planes, came to you, on phone calls, sending emails, begging you to look at this case for these men? How is it that you take it as an opportunity to basically reap from these people's sorrow? I mean, that's really what it is, and it really is really making me mad because when you really think about that, we're here fighting for these guys that were wrongfully convicted, and you know and you see that they were wrongfully convicted, but yet you see an opportunity for gain. You see an opportunity that you didn't even need. You didn't need $100,000. These people didn't even have $100,000 to give, but they came up with it in the hopes that you would champion their cause. So what do you think? What do you think? And, 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 and we're, talking, we're talking about Mark Garagos, yes. But the scary thing is this is happening throughout our country. Yes, it is. It is happening throughout our country. There are millions of people that have they've given they've given their you know they probably mortgaged their house they probably sold their possessions to try to help a loved one that was wrongfully convicted that has sat there and then later found out they were exonerated through DNA evidence or whatever you know we've seen this we have seen this and it's 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 unbelievable. Absolutely, and uh, I'll tell you what, folks, <laughs> this is what we do at AJC Radio. you got to pull the cover off. In order to get fixed, you got to know what's out there. We have Gwen Solomon joining us on the other side of this break. She'll be joining us, the attorney for the RP6. She has some knowledge of this corruption. We're going to talk to her on the other side of this break. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. Corruption within the criminal justice system 
starting with the attorneys and prosecutors and going all the way to the judges. What is America going to do? We'll be right back. Look, right now, uh, while you're looking at this on your screen in your hand or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell. And they didn't do much more than you did, you know, some crazy weekend. You didn't get caught. They got caught, and they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, we have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we, are, we have more people locked up than China. China, who has a billion people, they got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have, have you ever committed a crime? You got people who are doing more drugs in, on college campuses, in uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on, but the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in the housing projects where you got poorer people doing fewer drugs, and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors, would you want to be known for the rest of your life? based on what happened that night. That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison. And you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up. When you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, rent an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity? There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan, Coke Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. We're, we're wasting too much genius in America, and it's time to do something. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to give a very special invitation to you tonight and every day thereafter. If you're struggling with addiction issues, the Shores Treatment and Recovery is the place to go. If you have any questions, dial 1-888-975-4105, or you can contact Stephanie King, the champion for those that fight this battle. Her number is 720 305 2621. You can go to www.theshoresrecovery.com. There is a way out. There is an answer. Let's do it together today. We know you care. Now is time. 
time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. And welcome back into AJC Radio. The song says, Lean on Me. And the purpose of that is to know someone is there to carry the burden. Tonight we have found that those that are supposed to be ministers of justice are failing at their job, namely Mark Garagos, who stepped in the lives of the RP6 and stripped away a part of them with his conduct. I'll tell you what right now, that the fight for justice is a serious fight. But when you're going up against attorneys who are supposed to be part of that fight and they fail, it makes the job even harder. Dennis, you had a comment? Yeah, as we were talking earlier in the show, I was just thinking about how you know, when, you, when you're in a system and, and no matter, you know, we were talking about guilty until proven innocent. And you're in a system and you depend on the system to provide, to ensure that, you know, you get the justice that you deserve. And when that, when that collapse, when that goes away, uh, people start taking justice into their own hands. And I truly believe if, if, if we don't fix this justice system, we're going to see a lot more people saying, hey, there's no system me going to, to the courts. They're not going to help me. I'm not going to get a lawyer. Why get a lawyer? They're, they're not going to help me. And so you're going to find people out there, and it's already happening, where they take the law into their own hands, and they figure, hey, uh, what's the worst? No, absolutely. I'm going to get life in prison anyway. So I, I, mean, might, as well you know, I might as well take it in my own hand and, and, and prove myself. That I'm that I'm innocent. Oh, absolutely! And right now we're going to be joined by Gwen, uh, who is the attorney for the RP6, and she has witnessed some things that she can shine some light on this. And I would believe Gwen to be an attorney of integrity. Gwen, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you, Lamont. Um, I wanted to. Um, comment on Mark Garagos because I was one, I additionally uh, traveled with a few others, team members, as we went to talk to Mark Garagos when we initially wanted him to join in to represent and advocate for the men. And in that meeting, he did acknowledge that he was going to advocate for the men. He believed in the men, and he also said, that he was at a point in his career 
where money didn't mean anything to him, that um, he would charge the minimum amount because he was at that point in his career where he could do what he wanted to do. But yet he did, in fact, read all the transcripts. He knew that the men were innocent, and then he turned on the men. And I believe, and my personal belief was that he had, must have been paid off by the government or somehow because he was with us in the beginning um, in advocacy for the men, and then all of a sudden he just made a 360 and didn't do anything, wouldn't return calls. He wouldn't even return my calls, a fellow attorney, and he refused to uh, draft documents that he was supposed to draft in order to try to assist them. Um, I was just infuriated by a so-called high-caliber attorney um, that was supposed to be uh, an advocate, and like he, like you had uh, earlier um, broadcasted, he agreed with that the men were innocent because there was proof and evidence that he read himself, and in the end, it wasn't even about justice, it was about money. So I was extremely infuriated by that because I did personally attend that meeting um, and several meetings and conversations that we had where he was advocating for the clients and um, the men and their innocence. And then, like I said, uh, I just truly believe it was money that the government had to pay uh, talk to him in some kind of fashion because there were some conversations, I believe, that he possibly had with the U.S. attorney after or out of our presence where he just decided not to, to advocate for them like he should. And I just wanted to chime in. On okay. um, Matthew Kirsch, John Walsh, Judge Arguello, how she, I was personally there. She did compel the defendants to testify and violate their Fifth Amendment rights. And then she tried to cover it with the fact of saying that um, the at the bench conference that the, the court reporter, Darlene Martinez, um, must have had on headphones. When I personally approached Darlene Martinez, the court reporter, and she told me she never wore or ever wore headphones in order to, to to transcribe for the court. So, you know, the excuses that they made um, in all the pleadings was just, it was just an act of cover-up, cover-up, cover-up. And then, I, you know, the Tenth Circuit, when you appeal to the Tenth Circuit and try to describe to them all the different actions in Colorado, um, then they just cover for the judge and the U.S. attorney as well. So it's like, who is going to be able to come into the case, assist these men, get them out because they are innocent, and 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 just you know be about justice? That's what even the prosecutor before even indicted them or or um, impaneled some secret grand jury to uh, which is Bobby biased and was biased and prejudiced by his statements and, and his witnesses that he had. Um, who is going to come in and tell the truth and, and do justice like he's supposed to, as the prosecutor is supposed to do in the beginning? Not, you know, try to, it's not about a win win trying to see who's going to win the case. It's about justice. Why would you want to have an innocent person in prison? And that's proven time and time again. All the people that are coming out of prison now that are innocent, that have spent half centuries. In there, or you know, yeah, some of them have spent like 50 years or or 20 years behind bars and are totally innocent because some prosecutor um, hid evidence, didn't allow exculpatory evidence, didn't present evidence in the beginning when they had access to this information, and didn't use it to to present justice. That is their job. 
It's not about trying to win a case. It's about what is right and what is just. And I just wanted to comment on that because I was infuriated by, as you look at all the attorneys on the case, the the so-called six court-appointed attorneys that all they did, they didn't even have any backbone to stand up and speak the truth and defend these men like they should have. They were going to hand them over to the government. And so that is why the men had to defend themselves, and they did a good job in doing that. And I just wanted to, like I said, the system is is corrupt to me. I, I am, you know, an attorney, and I plan to stand an advocate for the men, and now we're not going to give up on advocating for them because we know that truly that they are innocent. And I'm, I just wanted to chime in on that. And I got one question for you, Gwen, before we let you go. Uh, there was something brought before Judge Jackson's court uh, regarding uh, the transcripts, different things. Uh, my understanding of that is that Judge Jackson made a point very clear, and I believe he asked Mark Garagos to do something. Mr. Garagos drug his feet and did not act right away, which was the turning of the tide, I believe, is when he began to shift. Tell the folks a little bit of what happened in that uh, I remember uh, from what I've been told, Judge Jackson made the statement to the prosecutor that if they would like him not to look at the facts and to find out the truth of a matter regarding those transcripts, and that if he let it go, it's as if the prosecution would not want the truth to come out and he was not going to allow that. He told Mr. Garagos to do something, explain to the people what he asked him to do, and the actions of Mr. Garagos failing to act. Yeah, he asked Mr. Garagos to um, go and pull the the transcript that was supposed to have been signed by the court reporter and lodged with the court, um, and he never did that. I did personally go, um, but there was no – I didn't have any access to it because the records were not there. The original transcripts were not were not signed and sealed in the, in the clerk's office like they were supposed to. Um, Mr. Garagos was supposed to follow up and get that done. He took approximately, and he was supposed to go back to the court and address the judge um, with with what he found. He drug it out because I was not on the civil case as the attorney, Mr. Garagos was, but I was assisting him as much as I could. And he was supposed to go back and report what his findings were with the court, and he took approximately two months which that infuriated Judge Jackson because Judge Jackson wanted him to do it in an expedient manner, like within approximately a day or two, and get back with the court and let him know what he found. If he had a press forward like he was supposed to and get the documents back to Judge Jackson, Judge Jackson I don't believe would have ruled in the manner that he had. Judge Jackson at the time from the conversation, he was in, under the belief when I read the transcript he was under the belief that the prosecution was hiding something because for some reason the way that it was the way it was presented, which they were hiding something. Right. Um, you know, the transcript is so-called missing, which I still don't see how it was missing, but that was what he was asking Mr. Garagos to do. But after Mr. Garagos turned, that's when he started dragging his feet doing nothing. That's when you know, that somehow he must either talk to the prosecutor and they, he ganged up with the prosecutor and they just took that initiative to try to delay um, everything in the, in the hearing for that, for the court transcripts. And they were successful because Judge Jackson 
allegedly pulled some transcripts that weren't even the actual transcripts. They were altered um, by Darlene Martinez, the court reporter, um, not to include the the compelling of the of the uh, violation of the Fifth Amendment rights by Judge Will. No, absolutely. And uh, Gwen, thanks for your insight on this. We appreciate that. And keep up the work and be one of the lawyers and the attorneys that do the right thing. And uh, we appreciate all your work that you're doing. Tell me to comment. I'm sorry? Thank you for allowing me to comment. You're welcome, man. We had a little break and uh, we didn't hear you. But thank you for that, Gwen. Have a good evening. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, there you have it, uh, Attorney Gwen Solomon uh, talking some details with Mr. Garagos that what attorney, after practicing law for 30 years, 31 years, dragged their feet on an order of a judge? Knowing the response of that judge is not going to be favorable to you. How's th- this is not a man that just left law school. 31 years, you know exactly what you're doing when you don't respond to a judge's order, Cliff. Yeah, I mean, that's totally unreasonable for uh, for you to think that, you know, any any attorney to get a, a directive, an order, a request from a judge and not respond, you know, that is uncomfortable. That makes absolutely no sense to say, you know, I'm just going to ignore you, judge. I really don't care what you have to say. Uh it it does not make sense, and uh, like Attorney Solomon was saying, it it leans towards the fact that okay, Mark Garagos was not for these men, and you see these type of things that happen, and, and that's why I said earlier, you know, that it's like okay, well, he just uh, you know, for lack of a better term, just crossed over to the dark side. That I'm not about justice anymore. You know, I got my my handful of dollars, and I really at this point could care less what's going on. Well, so comprehensive one. Gwen mentioned uh, the transcript issue that, uh, and Judge Jackson was actually uh, wanting that information to find out what was there, what was not there. Let's give you the words of Mr. Garagos talking about the vital key and issue regarding the transcript. Well, look, the I, in 20 minutes, I couldn't even scratch the surface of all the uh, problems that there are with this case. I will tell you that I think at least initially uh, that when you have a bench conference which implicates uh, the uh, somebody having to waive their right not to testify, get on the stand to testify, and they're on the horns of a dilemma between testifying or having their defense shut down um, – and that transcript disappears, that alone causes me great, great pause. And that's uh, the single reason that I decide to get involved. And until somebody says, wait a second here, if I'm going to incarcerate some young men who were not, you know, these are not crack dealers out on the corner. These are guys who were out there trying to develop a program to help law enforcement. And by all accounts, some world-renowned Experts said it was a very good program and a helpful program and something that just was not on the market. Um, And we're going to criminalize these guys and uh, criminalize their corporation and their 
their actions and we're going to warehouse them for years and years and years in federal prison. And we don't even have a transcript to back up what I consider to be a vital constitutional issue. That, that to me smells, that's uh, more than smells, it's putrid. Well, there you have it. Uh, wow. Is what I say to that. Mr. Garagos knew these men to be innocent. That is all you can come up with. He knew these men to be innocent. It doesn't sound like nobody's twisting his arm. Nothing. Very convincing. But I believe he's convincing because in his heart he knows. You may be motivated by greed and taking money, but in your heart of hearts, you can't get those words back. Right. I mean, you cannot speak that convincingly that with that type of conviction uh, without believing what you're talking about. I mean, after he went through the, the transcript and saw the chunk that, OK, this is not there where in the in the judge, Judge Arguello saying, yeah, I did say something. And it's not a part of the record. Um, so then how do you at that point, how do you not? say to the defendants well if it's not on the record and there is a uh you know there is a conflict between what you say the judge said and what the judge claims she said then you know tie goes to the runner if the, it, it is on the uh you know the shoulders of the of the prosecutor to prove the guilt and so if you say okay well part of my transcript that proves that my rights were violated my due process my uh, my fifth amendment my sixth amendment right was violated if that is not in the transcript then you cannot continue on with the case and that is the part uh you know uh, part of what judge Arguello did that just really shows you say okay what is the american justice system about when a judge can do this and men still end up in prison absolutely listen you know, I was looking here at um, there's an oath that attorneys take, and if they followed that oath, we'd have a lot less problems in this country and in our judicial system. It's a semi-formal oath. They have their right hand raised, and they take they take an oath that go that's basically saying uh, uh, the following: I solemnly swear that I will do nothing dishonest and will not knowingly allow anything dishonest to be done in court, and that I will inform the court of any dishonesty of which I have knowledge that I will not knowingly maintain or assist in maintaining any cause of action that is false or unlawful, that I will not obstruct any cause of action for personal gain or malice, but that I will exercise the office of attorney in any court in which I may practice according to the best of my learning and judgment faithfully to both my client and the court. So help me God. Wow. If our attorneys in this country followed that and lived by that, you wouldn't have anyone in prison wrongfully. Very you true. wouldn't have cases going awry because the, the attorneys would not be trying to make sure I get a conviction. They'd be trying to make sure that the court is run honestly and fairly, but they're not doing it. No, and again, that bus left the station quite a while ago as far as the oath that was taken to uphold the Constitution. And when you break it down like that, what, what's going on in America? Nothing good. Where are the conscience of these attorneys, of these judges? Mark Gergos continues to talk about the RP6. You may have heard a little bit this early. We're going to play it again 
how convinced Mr. Garagos was in regards to these six innocent men. Who are they? Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Victims of a system that failed. Let's hear what Garagos had to say. Uh, first of all, very simple question. Um, you have represented the likes of Michael Jackson. You have represented Winona Ryder, Gary Condit. Why the IRP6? Well, I was fascinated by the issue. I, uh, Gwendolyn and Sam came to me and presented it, laid it out. And I, uh, at this stage of my career, I kind of uh, am fortunate enough to be able to pick and choose which cases I'll take. And I was uh, I, at first I was somewhat aghast and didn't really believe that uh, the way they had portrayed it to me that it actually had occurred. And then as we kind of dug into it and drilled down in it, um, the the very issue that Gwendolyn was just talking to you about um, actually occurred, and the transcript mysteriously has disappeared. How how uh, often do do court tra- federal court transcripts? mysteriously disappear 31 years is the first time i've ever encountered a federal (laughs) court transcript disappearing and it's not just you know randomly any transcript it's the single biggest issue in this case wow i'll tell you what i was told a long time ago probably by my third grade teacher be careful what you say lamont because once you say it you can't get it back uh, Mr. Garagos finds himself in a very precarious situation. These are words spoken, spoken out of his own mouth, very convincingly. And that comes from Dr. Leon, uh, radio interview with Mr. Garagos, and very clear of what his belief was. And that's something we have to take a look at, William, as we hear the questions, why the IRP-6? Why? To what lengths have been taken and what lengths do people go to? We've said it before, there's a lot of legs, a lot of twists and turns on this journey. One to include Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, Pastor Rose Banks, going into church bank accounts without warrant or subpoena, Going into church members' accounts without a judge, a court order, or subpoena. You wonder why the IRP-6 was the question. It's got a lot of twists, a lot of turns. And it is my belief, and the belief that we've shared on this radio program, that the IRP-6 were a target as a result of false accusations made against or thought to be going on with Pastor Banks and Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, which through their investigation, which ironically we were told there was no such investigation against the church, against Pastor Banks. You know why? They found no wrongdoing. That's right. And to save face, they went after the IRP-6. Because what they thought to bring to the forefront was corruption, but they didn't know one very important part. 
Colorado Springs Fellowship Church and Pastor Banks are above reproach. There is no corruption. There is no scheme. 71-year-old pastor just helping the community and doing right things. That's right. I mean, there was nothing there. And as a result, they go back and they come up with this bogus case. Unbelievable, folks. This is unbelievable. Coming back on the other side of the break with a final clip from Mr. Garagos. Two clips. And I'll tell you what, when you sit here and listen to all of that tonight, it makes you scratch your head. What happened? What went wrong? They call it corruption, and it's overtaking the judicial courts in America. We're coming back to clean the cesspool of our criminal justice system as we make an attempt to seek for justice. We'll be right back. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And we now are learning and have learned some things tonight as we talk to the other members of this panel tonight. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and William Williams and the AJC Radio team. As we, I'll tell you what, this information has been very troubling, Dennis, as we have not even scratch the surface on the corruption of Mark Garagos and the actions of what he has done to the innocent. Your thoughts, Dennis, as we try to digest this information that is very, very concerning right now. 
I just hope he gets it. I, I hope he understands truly what he's done. Uh, not looking at the money, but looking at the families that he's affected. Uh, how do you know someone's innocent? And uh, how do you live with yourself? Knowing that the, these men are innocent and I did absolutely nothing uh, to, to bring justice to them and their families. I mean, that, 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 that in itself, that's going to haunt him for a long time. And, and again, how do you, how do you live with yourself? I mean, you, you have to say, wow, I really did that. Well, William, your thoughts. Well, you know, I'm still, I mean, I hear what Dennis saying, but you know, this kind of person that just takes this opportunity is just, you know, I don't, I don't have, I don't have anything to say. I mean, it's, I almost think about it like a leech, you know, the opportunity to feed off of somebody's misery, you know, and that's the way I really look at it. All right, so Lisa, your thoughts on Mr. Garagos is, again, we've uncovered some things that are not flattering to Mr. Garagos. Your thoughts on this with the, what he's done to the RP6 and, and their families here. I think it's a shame that people can treat other people that way and never have any concern for their well-being. And to focus only on yourself and to focus only on what you want and what you're looking to get out of a situation without ever considering the people, that the, all the lives that you're affecting. There's so many lives that he's affected, so many people that have, have to deal with what he's done. And I would hope that at one point in his life, he will deal with what he's done. Cliff, your thoughts? Yeah, it's just tonight has, you know, made me take a another look at the justice system and all the ways that, uh, you know, it needs to be fixed. It needs to be revamped. And we need uh, people that, you know, attorneys, uh, defense attorneys, prosecuting attorneys and judges that will look at the oaths that they took, that will morally and, uh, you know, consciously stand to those oaths. I mean, it, it, it's not difficult. Do what's right. You know, that's the bottom line. That's it. And uh, right now we take a turn. What you didn't know about the RP6, the question is, what color is the American dream? We deal with that on the other side of this introduction. What you didn't know about the RP6 starts right now. I just calls has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan about the RP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to Ladies and gentlemen of America, what is going on when innocent men 
get locked away. Ladies and gentlemen, have you stopped to ask the question, where is justice? It's far away. The IRP-6, David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zappolo, and Clinton Stewart have pondered that question, where is justice? What you didn't know about the IRP-6 case is the question. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over. There you have it. Tough questions in need for answers. Lady Justice has gone missing. Where is she? The RP6 and countless thousands are seeking her out. What you didn't know about the RP6 story to be continued. Well, there you have it. Tonight we ask an important question. What color is the American dream on this section of what you didn't know about the RP6? We like to believe that all people are created equal. That's a falsehood. We would like to believe that no matter where you come from, you can obtain that dream. In the case with the RP6, it was proven that the dream, the color of the American dream, did not include them. Five African-Americans, one Italian-American, targeted by the U.S. Attorney's Office. This is something that cannot be accepted. When you think about that, the setup. A just Cause has combed through thousands of pages of discovery, records, to get to the bottom of how this case went the direction that it went, we come to one conclusion. The American dream is not colorblind. But yet the product was to save every person on this planet, in America and abroad, from the threat of terrorism that affects all of us. Cliff, when you think of that, these Men, and they wonder why we have the condition in our cities when you target these black men, one Italian-American, what message do you send to those that seek out the dream that is supposed to be colorblind but simply was not in this case? Yeah, I mean, you basically tell, uh, you know, minority businessmen that, you know, the, the, the field is not for you. This is not the arena for you to come in if you if you think that the american dream is open for you to have if you think that you can be a competitor and it's just going to be accepted then uh you have the wrong dream in the wrong country and that is not supposed to be what america is about 
And but sadly, that's what we see in cases like this, that the justice system is set up. The prosecutors and the judges are uh, set up to ensure that the American dream for small minority businessmen uh, is not available. And it, it is it's a shame and it's it's sad. But that is the reality of uh, of where we live in America today. Oh, absolutely. And William, you had spoken to uh, a juror. You say who seemed distraught when he saw evidence that was not allowed during the trial. That's right. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, we had uh, we had spoke to a, one of the jurors, as you mentioned, and we just presented a letter. You know, the letter, one of the letters that was from the, uh, I believe, it was one of the consulting companies that said, you know, what would, what had happened was common practice. This was the evidence that was supposed to be presented that was not allowed by Judge Arguello. If I if I I'm correct about that, I believe. And as as the juror read it, you know, you saw this this look come over his face, and he was like, "Wow." And I said, "Now, had you had read this, had you if you had seen this during the time of trial with that?" He said, "It definitely would have changed his mind." Wow. And then when you when you I mean, we had just two letters. These were authored letters uh, that were basically talking about the practice of consulting uh, of IT consulting and but was not allowed by by the judge. And so and so these gentlemen were not allowed, you know, to actually present a defense. And we've said that. They were not allowed to actually defend themselves in this in this court. And so we knew at that point, you know, how much this would have changed the course of this whole trial. These men would not have been set to sitting in jail. If 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 I mean, just think about it. If this one juror saw this one letter, and there was other information that they were not allowed to present, other evidence that they were not allowed to present, if that one letter swayed his view, because he actually had said he was wondering where was the defense. He was sitting there. He said, he said, he said, in his own words, I was wondering where is the defense? Where, where is the evidence these guys are going to present? About themselves, they blocked it. They weren't allowed, and he told, and we told him, and I, and I was able, and this was just uh, one meeting with this man. I was able to talk to him several times, face to face, and over the phone, and you know, and that led to other discussions. But really, he was there in a position where he was in awe because of this one letter. That's that's wow. And you have a, a judge that set up and said, we're not allowing you to put on a defense. What are you doing on the bench? What did you go to law school for? Well, a very special gentleman I talked to today, a surprise guest, will be joining us a few weeks from now, makes this statement. The legal system is at best a cesspool anyway, and has been. And not just here or in America, but the series of court actions really shows just how corrupted and crooked and deadly this can be. We are seeking answers to puzzling questions that continually come up in this case related to racial bias, evidence not being permitted, expert witnesses not being allowed to testify, constitutional rights being violated. We will seek out the answer. Join us next time for what you didn't know about the IRP6. Cliff? Yes, I want to say thank you to our production team, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson with K&D Productions, helping out Ill Skills Girl in the Control Room. 
making sure you hear what it is that we have to say. And to our production support team, they offer us accurate and up-to-date information so that we can pass that on to you, and we appreciate it. To the truth, we know that you are out there, and we surely do appreciate it. Thank you for that, Cliff. And we've talked about the perpetrators of justice, the title of this show, but there are many that fit that title. Lisa, who are they? They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, Former Federal Agent John, John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Ward, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Stanton Jr., Attorney Rick Kornfeld, Attorney Mark Garagos, Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that. Ladies and gentlemen, if you wonder who the, want to know who those people are, they are the perpetrators of justice that sent six innocent men to prison. Who are they? Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Hopper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker, known as the IRP6. We fight for justice, and we will continue. We'll see you next time here on AJC Radio. Good night, America. Good night. <laughs>